0: Highways Voices, the podcast of Highways News, your one-stop destination for all the news about the highways and transport technology industries, and our must-read daily newsletter. On this week's Highways Voices, we
1: go
2: to the countryside. There's potential through dynamic and responsive transport, which has been trialled in a range of rural places, to see if there's a commercially and operationally viable formula which I could take in rural areas to provide not just those fixed route services but really offer a broader range of services within rural areas that meet particular needs The challenges of delivering a mobility solution
1: for rural areas is on the agenda today as WSP talk about meeting net zero targets and growing rural economies by reducing car dependency and providing people greater access to local jobs essential services and economic centres of
0: activity we're opening the country file this week on highways voices highways voices in association with partner organizations adept the transport technology forum ITS uk and El Craig. hello from paul hutton we've
1: got peter ramsey associate director for future mobility at wsp as our guest on this week's highways voices and we'll hear his chat with adrian tatum this week after adrian's given his thoughts on some of the must-read stories on the highways news website
3: two of the Industries, asphalt specialist aggregate industries, and tarmac have committed to greater use of both wool mix and lower-carbon asphalt as part of their sustainability aims. Driving forward with its commitment to becoming the UK leader in innovative and sustainable solutions, aggregate industry has transitioned to warm-mixed asphalt production as standard across its asphalt product portfolio. Also, lower-carbon asphalt is set to become a feature of UK roads, as tarmac makes the most significant sustainable improvement to its range of asphalt mixes since the business perfected the method of making road surfaces stick in the early 20th century. Converting to warm mix asphalt will help save 13,000 and a half tonnes of carbon dioxide a year, and that's the equivalent of around 22,000 flights between London and New York. Elsewhere, work is due to start on the scheme in Sussex to support the local economy, improve active, sustainable travel options in the Burgess Hill area, according to West Sussex County Council. The Western Gateway and Station Improvement Scheme is scheduled to start on 27th of June as one of a series of projects in the town which aims to support new housing commercial development and create high quality public spaces to encourage people to opt for more active travel modes. Or public transport.
1: On top of those, you can read about a plan to decarbonize the southeast going on show, how you can see a demonstration of lorry platooning in East London, and Japanese giants Honda and Sony team up for mobility. You can read those and so many more stories on the Highways News website. You can catch up with the news on our Twitter and LinkedIn feeds, and sign up for the daily email to get you news to your inbox every lunchtime when it comes to industry news highways news is the only place you need to go for everything you need to know
0: highways voices with paul hutton and adrian tatum
4: swarco improves quality of life by making the travel experience safer quicker more convenient and environmentally sound from software as a service traffic management solutions to parking vms ev charging and road marking too Find out how Swarco can deliver more efficient and safer traffic management. Swarco, the better way every day.
1: Details about a new digital roads for local roads project involving the TTF and how you can enter the ITS UK awards all coming up in our partner news soon but first let's hear from this week's Highways Voice. Peter Ramsey is Associate Director for Future Mobility at WSP and is our guest on this week's Highways Voices. He chatted to Adrian about how understanding the needs of rural communities is a vital part of planning an effective rural mobility strategy and he started by discussing the state of
2: country transport. It's not really just becoming adequate now it's been adequate for a very long time. I think one of the major issues around it is the, the focus on urban areas so uh, particularly things like city regions. The approach to funding has very much identified the major urban areas is a place where investment should go. And that alongside the difficulties we have in rural areas with providing services means that rural areas have been left behind. So it's not just a short-term issue, it's something that's developed over a very long time. But also there's been a fundamental understanding historically of uh, rural areas uh, and compared to cities and, and major towns. We focus on cities and major towns, focus our investment there. Uh, and even in some of the shire areas, we've found that uh, there's a concentration on market towns and major towns within those shire areas without understanding what's actually happening in their very rural areas. Very much a focus on getting through rural areas rather than understanding what, how the economies and the communities work
3: with. One of the ways that you've suggested in, in one of your reports that you did um, last year is to improve rural mobility to help strengthen the local communities, obviously, as part of part of what you've just been talking about how do you kind of get started with that process
2: one well, of the key things really is to understand those needs in in rural areas we've been working in the southwest recently on a new mobility strategy and our starting point hasn't just been around the issues that we find there is understanding the different people who live there the different types of place the activities they undertake diving deep into uh, the understanding of all those issues that come with the different types of people, place and activity. So we identified, to start with, 23 different types of rural place, ranging from market towns to villages to hamlets to areas outside of settlements, whether they be inland or coastal, whether they be what we term near rural, so uh, very close to urban areas, or remote and isolated areas. So 23 different types of place. And then we identify the different levels of affluence in those places. And we came up with 40 different types of places. So up to now, there's been a broader lumping together of rural places as one contiguous place, one concept of a place. So we need to understand the different challenges by different types of place. We also need to understand the different types of people who live at the levels of affluence, the ability for people to use different modes of transport. And that then highlights some of the key issues that individual types of people have. We also need to work through the different activities that people undertake, whether that be work and employment, whether it's within urban areas and people travelling from rural to urban, how people access to education or healthcare, the impact of tourism and leisure within rural areas. So by starting with segmenting rural areas and different types of places, different types of people. We start to understand not just the broad issues, but the the challenges the individual types of places and individual, individual people have. From there, we can start to understand the big challenges that we know rural places have, and we can start to uh, identify specific solutions to those specific challenges.
3: Last year, you, you published a 30-minute rural community research report. was something that really intrigues me. Obviously, in cities and towns, as we talk about, the 15-minute journey, the 20-minute journey. Tell us about this this idea and how you see it evolving in, in, in more
2: rural communities. After um, a few years of, of working on a whole range of different rural projects, including for the sub-national transport bodies, we saw there was a need to think differently about uh, rural mobility. So working with our colleagues at Forest we came up with the 30-minute rural community approach. So building on Carlos Moreno's concept of the 50-minute cities, we saw that as a possibility to expand that to cover broader rural areas. And there's three main parts to that, really. Local communities in networks of settlements, so market towns with surrounding villages and hamlets, working together collectively to provide a range of services within their areas, but importantly, uh, supported by improved publicly available mobility, whether that be public transport, uh, shared cycles or cars, not just f- focusing on private car use, but improving uh, mobility for, for a wider range of people, particularly those who don't have access to a car. The second point, really localising the delivery of services through local authorities, through parish councils and through community-led organisations to give more local decision-making more local understanding and leadership in the solutions that are right for local communities. But importantly, where those services can't be provided locally, improving our physical and digital connectivity to the larger towns and cities for those onward journeys for people to, to meet those basic needs.
3: And some of the work you've been doing recently involves designing the first ever rural mobility strategy at, at the sub-national level for the southwest of England. What's your plan to help develop the region? and and you know, how, how have you kind of taken what you've spoken about already and and, and um, really sort of taken that forward and developed it?
2: It probably needs to be a little bit careful here that the, the strategy yet to be published. It's going through the approval process, but I think some of the, the things I can talk about are already uh, in the public domain. So we've developed uh, a, a high level vision of supporting objectives, really to steer the delivery of mobility across the southwest region. But I think the important thing to highlight is for 10 key principles we've identified really to shape how rural mobility could be delivered in in future. Those 10 principles focused around stronger digital connectivity, uh, supporting e-commerce and online services, enable more to be done without the need to travel. With settlements, uh, supporting more local services, so enabling people to do more things locally, reducing either the number or the length of journeys. Looking at the integration of services with mobility, so looking at mobility hubs within a rural context so that more things can be done locally, but where they people have to travel further, that there's easy access to onward uh, mobility and public transport services. Adopting that 30-minute uh, rural communities approach we just talked about. Importantly, the mobility needs to be focused on decarbonised, active, publicly available, and shared transport really central to what the future of, of rural mobility should be. So helping to reduce carbon emissions, those healthy alternatives to the private car, so active travel, publicly available modes, not just traditional public transport, those fixed uh, bus routes that have declined so much over the last decade or so, but more flexible transport, shared modes, so uh, shared e-bikes, shared car clubs, etc. But also being realistic about transport in rural areas, that the private car isn't going to go away. But where we can electrifying those cars and sharing them. So, being realistic about the future use of cars, but making better use of them and reducing their environmental the impact. Importantly, strengthening our larger rural settlements so we've got to, they have a stronger role to play within our rural areas, supporting the, the wider network of, of villages and hamlets. We also clearly need to provide stronger connections to those larger settlements, to the cities and larger towns where more services, a wider range of services are provided. So focusing on interim bus and coach services and improving rail services. And finally, in terms of delivery, improving the cross-sectoral working between the public sector, the private sector and third sector, uh, breaking down some of the silos and funding. And I think as we've may have seen within our 30-minute rural communities approach, really empowering local communities and community groups, community organizations to start to deliver on their own, deliver their own services, with that be mobility or a wider range of community services, really to support the provision of local needs and reducing the need to, need to travel. But beneath that broader set of principles and the framework for, for mobility, there's a whole range of different interventions. We've worked with the Southwest Subnational Transport Bodies to identify a potential range of different pilots that they could deliver across a range of different types. So they could be pilots led by local authorities, by the private sector, or led by the third sector, led by local communities. They could be within single local authority boundaries. Uh, they may work across rural local authority boundaries or, or between rural and urban authorities. All right, importantly, something we found through that work is that 50% of rural journeys off are rural to rural. So it's absolutely key that we look at how purely rural areas can work together to, to deliver that improved mobility. But so much of those journeys are also between urban and rural and vice versa. So looking at how partnerships between urban and rural authorities can work together to deliver improved improve mobility and actually solve a whole wider range of, of challenges and meet objectives for both urban and, and rural areas. As part of the strategy when it's released, we'll be looking to, to launch some pilots in due course.
1: Peter Ramsey, Associate Director of Future Mobility at WSP, is our guest on this week's Highways Voices, and we'll hear more from him in a moment after you've heard this week's partner news with Sarah.
0: Highways Voices, with the latest news and events from our partner organisations ITS-UK, Elcrick, Adept and the Transport Technology Forum.
4: We'll start our partner news with a new project involving the Transport Technology Forum, which will analyse the potential benefits of increasing connectivity and the use of digital technology on local roads in England to create digital roads. Digital Roads is a broad concept where increasing use of information technology, data and connectivity allows step changes to the way roads are designed, built, managed and used. The Digital Roads for Local Roads project aims to benefit the whole transport sector, local road authorities and the Department for Transport by providing a clear digital vision focusing on the needs and opportunities of local roads which can help inform future policy decisions and ultimately deliver better services and experience to road users. The initiative engages with stakeholders through surveys, workshops and interviews to gather a wide spectrum of views from local authorities, professional bodies, academia, consultants and contractors. We'll stick a link to the survey in the blurb. We'll also include a link to the ITS UK Awards nominations form. The UK's Industry Association for Intelligent Transport Systems is looking for entries in 10 different categories. You must know someone or a project deserving of an award. The 10 categories are The Rhys Hills Award for Outstanding Personal Contribution The Eric Sampson Award for Early Careers Professional of the Year The Jenny Martin Award for ITS Woman of the Year Plus awards for Frontline Hero, Active Travel, Better Environment Through Technology, Best Use of Data or Connectivity, Enforcement Scheme, Public Transport and Inclusive Mobility. Delegates attending next month's Elkrig Innovation Festival will have the opportunity to attend sessions that are being delivered by the Department for Transport. The new event, which will take place on the 6th and 7th of July at Newark Showground, has been established to make the case for innovation and will bring together local authorities, central government, the supply chain, associations and academia. On the 6th of July, Laura Murphy, Head of Road Network Statistics, will deliver a presentation entitled DFT Road Data, Measuring Local Roads. Then, on the 7th of July, Matthew Eglinton, Head of Local Highways Maintenance, Innovation and Resilience, Local Infrastructure, will lead a session entitled Local Transport Plans, Driving Better Outcomes for Local Authorities and UK. Each session will take place at 2pm with attendees given the opportunity to participate in a Q&A. For further information and to register for the event, visit the link in the blurb. Finally, speaking at Traffix last week, Adept President Mark Kemp outlined Adept's views on where local highways can have a key role in addressing the levelling up agenda. ADEPT is particularly keen to promote new transport solutions such as demand-responsive bus services which could help services struggling to return to pre-pandemic passenger numbers. Other solutions include active travel measures and bus priority with high-quality consultation to ensure good delivery. Pride of Place was another key area for ADEPT including pedestrianisation, planting, green spaces and supporting the changing nature of our high streets. Mr Kemp stressed that local authorities across the country face a skills challenge which will have an impact delivering these changes.
0: Highways Voices, the podcast from highwaysnews.com highwaysnews.com
1: Now back to Adrian's chat with Peter Ramsey, Associate Director for Future Mobility at WSP. And let's pick up by talking about the future of rural bus routes.
2: Bus services, and particularly in rural areas, have been hit by budgetary cuts at local authority level. So we need to look at new ways of providing what we term publicly available transport. So that's a whole range of different modes that are available to the public, not just a privately owned cars that someone to use in rural areas so the fixed route bus services or traditional bus services have clearly been undergoing a lot of change and decline over the last decade so we need to find new models to provide those so there's potential through dynamic and responsive transport which has been trialled in a range of rural places to see if there's a commercially and operationally viable formula which I could take in rural areas to provide not just those fixed route services but really offer a broader range of services within rural areas that meet particular needs. So fixed route bus services don't always serve the particular needs of, of local residents. They often go from rural areas into urban areas rather than what demand responsive transport can do is go from rural village to rural village which actually is what many of those journeys are purely within rural areas. But we also need to look at other forms of transport to really support traditional bus and future bus demand-responsive transport. So how can car clubs work as part of this new network of rural mobility? How can sharing of bikes, how can community transport form part of that? So really those pilots I mentioned are looking at bundles of interventions that really bring together a whole range of interventions where pilots together could meet a whole range of wider range of needs within rural areas. But importantly, those pilots need to check and test which best commercially and operationally viable ways to to run transport. It might be in some locations, those traditional fixed route bus services continue to be the right solution, otheras they may continue to decline and no longer be an appropriate solution. So we need to find the right package for the right places and the right types of people. So kind of going back to that people place and Activity-based approach I talked about—it's really fitting those bundles of interventions to the individual places and their specific needs.
3: And also, the the southwest in particular is known for its tourism, and obviously, a lot of people will go on holiday in their own cars. Some might go by train, but a lot, a lot less because then they've got to work out how to get to the attractions that they want to from wherever they're staying, the place where they're staying. So, how have you kind of tackled? that issue is it about encouraging people to hire bikes for the day more and that sort of thing or how have you kind of tackled the tourism
2: it's just a good question and absolutely right it's particularly key to the southwest um, one of the the major tourism centers of of uk but clearly also applicable to a wider range of rural areas it was a a question we were asked as part of the, the strategic development process so i think there's several again several parts to to that answer we need to give people the, the choices to, to travel to these locations by modes of them by a private cars. So ensuring that the strategic bus and coach network and rail network support the tourism market, go to serve the right places, have the capacities within the trains to, to carry luggage, etc. But it's when people get there that they're most concerned about how do they get around. So things like shared e-bikes, car clubs, improved networks in and around key tourism hotspots, providing bus shuttles, park and rides within those areas. So trying to avoid people bringing their cars into those really honeypot locations by providing alternatives at least once they arrive so they can move around those locations by by alternative modes. But like most strategies, it has to be a combination of different solutions. And we can't meet the needs of everyone, all tourists, Depending on know where they come from, but we you can provide a range of alternatives that gives them an opportunity to make different choices, both in how they travel down and when they, they travel around those areas.
3: I just want to focus a, a little bit on the carbon reduction element of what you're trying to achieve in, in these sort of strategies. Obviously, increasing rural mobility will help with that. Can you just give us a bit more detail about that? And also, how have you advised people how to measure that carbon reduction?
2: There's several points you made around here. There's a key point we've made as part of our, our strategy work is not just around the challenges that rural areas have, but actually the benefits they can give to the wider economy. There's some significant sort of opportunities in rural areas to help to combat climate change to meet net zero. So there's the issues around green energy generation and distribution. There's support in resilience to adverse weather. There's the carbon capture through reforestation and restoration of peat bogs, etc. So we need to identify first of all that rural areas can be really part of a solution to, to climate change and, and meeting net zero targets. But then we come to look at travel needs of, of rural areas and clearly, as I already mentioned, a reliance on the private car and limited public transport network. So we need to start resolving those issues. And really, that's through a combination of factors. We need to reduce the need to travel through digital connectivity and providing more locally. So those 30-minute rural communities working together to provide local services and local functions so people don't have to travel outside their villages or their networks of villages to meet some of their basic daily needs. There's switching modes, so supporting people to walk more, to cycle more. It will need more infrastructure in some place to do so. Switching to publicly available transport. Where people have used their cars perhaps sharing them so through car share or through car clubs and then of course electrifying those vehicles as well some of the same solutions you might apply to urban areas so yeah reducing these travel switching modes uh, electrifying all form part of that mix that we need to apply to rural areas as much as we do to urban
3: finally you talk in your messaging around this to produce greater rural connectivity it can be achieved through cr- cross-sector collaboration local council engagement planning reform how huh. How do we get all those things to work in harmony?
2: That's the real challenge. So both within the strategy we've done and also within our 30-minute rural community approach, we've come up with a range of solutions, but it's how do we deliver them? So I've talked about potential for pilots in rural areas, not just in the southwest, but as part of kind of interest that's been generated in our 30-minute rural community work, there's potential for us to work with some rural local authorities to deliver pilots. So to main function of those pilots will be to identify those operationally and financially sustainable routes to delivering rural mobility. So but that could be across a range of different sectors. So that could be a local authority led, it could be private sector led in some cases. They they tend to deliver in urban areas first, but there might be some solutions that they're happy to deliver early in rural areas. And then there's a third sector, but those all working together surely must be the, the start of delivering a sustainable future for rural mobility, but also the funding must be there as well. So can we leave a better usage of funding that's already there? So breaking down silos within local authorities or actually also within the private sector so that funding comes together from a range of different sources to meet specific needs within rural areas, but actually meet wider objectives. So within local authorities, whether public health, education, wider community budgets can sit alongside mobility and transport budgets to come up with some of those wider solutions. So we're not just trying to improve mobility, trying to improve wider economic performance and community sustainability in rural areas. So it's right that we use funding and expertise and capabilities from across the sectors to deliver mobility in rural areas. But we also need to look at, as I mentioned in our 30-minute rural community approach, what can local communities do more for themselves? So they know their needs better than anyone can we give them the capabilities, the skills, the understanding, the training to deliver some elements of vulnerability for themselves through parish councils that already exist or through not-for-profit community organisations to lead on delivery? We know certainly through our research, our best practice research, that there are some communities elsewhere in England that are already delivering some of these things. We certainly know of Hook Norton in Oxfordshire that has its own car share club, a bike, e-bike share, co-working space, community space, but developing new housing, potentially looking at community electricity generation, all delivered by the local community for the benefit of the community, focusing on specific needs for people who live there. So if there are things that are already happening that we can build on, we can learn on, we can share best practice on that can help to develop some of those financially and operationally sustainable models for our ability in the future. But again, I think, as I said at the beginning, we need to understand the specific needs of each type of place. There's no one-size-fits-all solution. So we need to tailor it to make the best use of all resources, but tailor it to the specific needs of each place or each group of of group of places. And I think we just need to go on and not just look at mobility, but how mobility works with economic plans and look and works with planning. Those three areas are all intrinsically linked. So we need to look at how planning supports making rural areas sustainable. How can we ensure that new developments in rural areas aren't just car focused, they provide for alternative modes, but they support active travel, they support both physical, digital and mobile provision of services as well. Certainly I've seen in the past local plans coming forward that limit development in the smaller rural areas, reducing the potential for new service to go into those areas. So perhaps there's a need to encourage more residential development in some of the smaller rural areas to start to give them more of that critical, critical. Mass to support new service to be delivered within those areas, really supporting a growing population and growing economy on a back of of increased development in in most settlements
1: that's peter ramsey associate director for future mobility at wsp our highways voice this week with a real insight into an issue that needs sorting and as someone who lives in the sticks and has suffered with bus and train times changing frankly for the benefit of someone else it's good to hear how someone's trying to make things better
0: highways voices with paul hutton and adrian tatum
1: and you can't keep Adrian Tatum off this podcast this week because before we go, here's him tipping his hat to an organisation doing something great in the industry. It's time for Adrian's Accolade.
3: And my accolade this week goes to Soda Gates, who have launched their Instaboom site, a more sustainable and safer way to manage entry into highway and construction sites. The development of the Instaboom site is another new approach to securing work sites and airlocks that need security check-in. The robust welfare cabin alongside Sodergates' popular Instaboom has been integrated into a security barrier built on a forked liftable steel base platform that is perfect for sites and that need extra security one of the many reasons why they're a worthy winner of my accolade this week.
1: Thanks, Adrian. That's it for this week. Join us again next week for more
0: chat on the industry's number one podcast. We'll talk then. Highways Voices. Join us again next week for more insights from those that matter in the industry.